everybody says, well, how could you go back to school or isn't it difficult? It actually makes my life easier mm. to commit that additional time and think differently so that ultimately I'm more effective. Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business Operational Excellence. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with uh, Dr. Susan Moffat Bruce, Executive Director uh, of the University Hospitals at The Ohio State University. Susan, tell us more about yourself. Well, thanks very much for having me today. Um, so I am a thoracic surgeon. Uh, I also serve as the executive director of University Hospital. Uh, as such, I'm responsible for the flagship hospital. OSU has seven hospitals, of which University Hospital is the largest. And I have been responsible for the operations, the efficiency, the admissions uh, for that entity for about 18 months. Um, Prior to that, I was the Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer for the Wexner Medical Center. And uh, prior to that, I was a scientific and clinically oriented uh, thoracic surgeon. Um, so I've kind of evolved from being a clinical scientist to being an academic administrator, um, which is what I would say is truly what my trajectory has been here at OSU. That is great. In fact, uh, while preparing for this podcast, uh, me and my colleagues were doing some background work on you, and we didn't know where to start because you had a, you had a glorious resume of doing so many different things. Mm. Again, not only being a leader in the physician world, but also ending up getting additional degrees to help you manage, right? So, so I, I want to really go back to that. So today's topic is women in leadership. Mm. And tell us more about, I know you, you have a, 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 an ex extraordinary background of not being a physician, but also being a leader in this field. How do you balance them? How do you balance work and responsibilities, work-life balance? Yeah, I think the word balance is probably not um, possible, okay. but I do think integration is. Okay. And I think the goal for all of us, particularly women in leadership, is to truly integrate what fulfills them professionally as well as personally. Hmm. And that is a really tricky integration because it's dynamic, uh, it changes with sometimes the day, sometimes the season, sometimes the new job that you mm -hmm. have. And I think truly in order to integrate, you have to understand what your key components, your key drivers are. Mm. You know, for me, it's family, uh, happiness, and well-being. Mm. And I need to make sure my professional life allows for those three. I have to make sure that everything in my personal life is balanced so that I can integrate those. But ultimately, understanding what your fundamental drivers are mm. allows you to integrate. I, I like that. I like that word integrate or balance because, again, it's extremely difficult to balance. Yeah. There is going to be trade-off, but then if you're able to like properly integrate those three components, I think it's going to be a, a successful recipe for everyone. That, that is a very interesting perspective on that. 
So tell me more, again, you talked about OSU being a, a Wexler Medical Center, being a complex hospital. Yes, it Think is very complex. It's very complex. You have so many different people. Uh -huh. And then again, uh, me uh, uh, having done some work in that area uh -huh. with physicians, I know there is a lot of hierarchy is going on and, and it's very tough to manage that and be an administrator. Tell us, tell us more about how do you do that on a day-to-day -day basis now? It really is um, a matter of negotiation mm -hmm. and rela relationship building. So everything that we have to succeed in is completely dependent on the people, on the patients, and on the processes. Mm -hmm. And I think those three have to be somewhat integrated and it's my responsibility to negotiate, to develop relationships, and to always set the burning platform so to they understand and patients understand what's in it for them. So for instance, if you want to prevent a fall for a patient, mm. well, the patient has to understand why it's important that you put up the bed rails. The nurse has to understand why it's important to answer the call bell. And the process has to be such that you have a way to ensure guardrails. You have a way to put a bed alarm on place. So my responsibility as an executive director is to make sure those three components are in place so the entire organization can be successful. That is nice. In fact, I'm very proud to say to our audience that Susan Moffat Bruce is actually a double Fisher alumni. <laughs> yes. So she was our MBOE alumni and also she ended up getting an EMBA degree at Fisher. So can you tell us more about how you're putting MBOE to work at, and how do you put EMBA to work in your environment? My MBOE was a degree that I um, started when I became the Chief Quality and Patient Office, Safety Officer. So I had gone from being a clinical scholar mm. in the realm of you know, immunology and thoracic surgery to being an administrator overall of quality. And I did not think I had the tools. I needed to understand uh, process management, continuous improvement, understanding value streams, the whole idea of always thinking how we can do things better. And so I did my MBOE very early on in my administrative um, world or in my administrative life. Having done that, I was able to immediately apply it mm -hmm. to my daily work, to the way that I was setting goals, to the processes I was improving. And for the seven years that I was in that world, it was really helpful. Mm. Then working or going forward into the uh, higher executive level at the level of running an entire organization, I felt that I needed some additional skills or maybe even just a refresher mm -hmm. on many of the skills that I had learned as part of the MBOE, which are translatable into the MBA program. Mm -hmm. And so a refresher as well as gaining some new skills, more around financial acumen, mm -hmm. more around strategic planning mm -hmm. that I hadn't thought about maybe or even applied mm -hmm. when I had taken my MBOE. So um, it was a perfect time for me to do it. It, The way that it was structured allowed me to do my um, daily work as well as grow and then ultimately it allowed me to be promoted into the position that I have currently. That's great. So do you think, Susan, uh, uh, going back and getting, you said you did a, you got an MBOE degree and then went back to work, put that degree to work, came back to get more uh, training on leadership. Do you think, uh, uh, being a woman in leadership, do you think that, that kind of uh, getting the next degree was important to you? I think it was absolutely fundamental to my professional growth. Mm. 
I do believe that as a physician leader that we don't always have all the skills. Mm. So what they taught me in medical school is completely different than what I need to negotiate the boardroom. Mm. And under, first of all, you have to be aware of that. Um, and that is somewhat insight as well as introflection. Secondly, I think that you have to have a resource to, to be able to get that from. So having the Fisher as part of OSU, it makes it incredibly easy. And then thirdly, I think that you have to have the um, ability to go back to school, go back and get those skills that I'd be perfectly fine as a physician and with my medical degree, but I'm even better mm -hmm. with these additional skills and infrastructure and relationships I've developed just in getting my additional degrees. Mm. So Susan, um, in your role as a leader at the Wexner, right, what are some interesting challenges that you have uh, seen so far? And tell us more about it. And how did you manage that? How did uh, MBOE and the AMBA help you manage them? There are many challenges at OSU Wexner Medical Center, and there's also tremendous opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenge we have is just by the sheer size. Mm. So on any day, we have uh, hundreds of patients in our hospital. We have thousands of people taking care of our patients, and we have providers from all kinds of backgrounds. That's a tremendous challenge. Mm. The opportunity is to bring them together. Mm. So understanding the why, giving them the tools to be successful with, and standardizing processes. I use my skills that I learned in the MBOE as well as the MBA to kind of pull those together. Mm. Again, people, patience, and process. Getting that to have some discipline sure. is what my job is, and I have those skills now to, be, to have the discipline around implementing those and ensuring them. I do think that the other part of, understand, of doing the MBA and the MBOE was truly understanding that there are many industries outside of medicine mm -hmm. that do really good work. Yeah. And that takes, again, awareness, recognition. And I think that's what I actually enjoyed most about my other degrees was being able to interact with team members and people that I may never have met. Hmm. Um, I would never have met, you know, some of our team in the MBA program. I had one gentleman that was an engineer. I had another gentleman that was a financial advisor for a real estate company. Mm -hmm. And I had one gentleman who was an administrator for a petrol and uh, oil company. Mm. Where else would a physician ever sure. be able to interact with those people? So I learned from them many of the skills that they use to sure. manage complex systems as well. Um, and so that's really been a great learning for me is that through these um, degrees, mm -hmm. I've been able to learn mm -hmm. and then apply it as it's uh, appropriate to the medical environment. Yeah, even today, Susan, um, when I go back and teach in the MBA, MBOE program, I go back to your, uh, you, you once mentioned way back that your biggest learning in the MBOE program was when you visited Toyota. Oh, absolutely, yes. To see their yes. process. Yes. And uh, I often feel it's very insightful because a lot of times, when I talk to physicians about Toyota, they come back and say, we are not making cars. We are not making cars, but we are responsible for metrics and throughput and efficiencies. And we have, we have to learn from these other industries, mm -hmm. whether or not it's the aviation industry, the banking industry, the tire industry, and take what is applicable mm -hmm. 
and apply it in the most appropriate manner. It's not one for one. Sure. No doubt about that. However, mm-hmm. we are more similar <laughs> than we're different. That, that's very nicely said. Again, taking the right things and applying in your line of work, Susan. So going back to today's theme, which is about uh, uh, women leadership, mm-hmm. right? Um, what, is, what have you done at Wexner to actually, uh, we know that there is always uh, gender inequality in so many different industries, right? Yeah. Healthcare is no exception to that. And some places in healthcare you have um, equal gender uh, mix, but then sometimes there is this inequality. What have you done at Wexner to actually make sure that that is not the case? So I'm very um, conscious of gender inequality, particularly as I started in the world of cardiothoracic surgery. Mm -hmm. So currently there's about 2% of the entire workforce that provide cardiovascular Mm -hmm. services that are women. Mm -hmm. So I've already started from a a point of understanding. Mm -hmm. Secondly, now applying what I have learned and what I've had to um, understand in my academic environment, I've applied it to the university hospital. So first of all, recognizing that there's a gap. Secondly, when we bring in new team members, truly being thoughtful of um, recruiting, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit differently. So whilst a gentleman may have certain attribute, a woman may have different ones, but may still add value. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just look at a job description and try to apply it. So thinking differently about the recruitment process. And then relative to retaining mm. women, thinking about flexible work hours, mm. thinking about the environment we've put in place where, you know, if people ha- are productive, they can work from home certain days of the week, making sure childcare is available, looking at uh, valet services mm-hmm. so that somebody's at home to um, help them c- get a delivery. Um, And then really supporting the development of women to the next step. So are there skills they need? Mm -hmm. Are there resources? And I would say lastly, really understanding this concept of mentorship Mm -hmm. versus sponsorship. So many women seek out mentors. They may be atypical, they may not be conventional, but but mentors help in a longitudinal fashion. Mm Women don't always look out for sponsors. Mm. And those are people that may help them in an instance or in a scenario, but then they may never need to connect with again. Mm. And so I think women, because we do tend to build relationships, tend to sit in this mentorship world. Mm. And they're not always transactional in getting things done, which may need a sponsor. Mm. So we're very much trying to explore that relative to women um, both on the academic as well as on the staff side. That is interesting. Again, going back to mentor, Susan, as, as you were growing up as a leader, did you have a particular mentor that gave you a lot of uh, insights on how to actually be a, a leader? I was very fortunate. You know, in my academic career, I had uh, tremendous mentors. Dr. Chris Ellison, who was my chair of surgery, mm-hmm. uh, he was very instrumental in understanding uh, the decisions I had to make. Uh, helping me through that, being very supportive. He was one that comes to the front first of my uh, list of mentors. And then also, when I went into these administrative roles, mm-hmm. I actually had mentors that actually worked for me. Oh. Um, so a little bit atypical, mm-hmm. but I can assure you that the team members that worked for me helped me understand what a business meeting should look like, what a business plan should look like, 
who um, could be leveraged for certain jobs. And so I really learned how they managed people Mm. because physicians aren't typically managing large groups of people. So I served, they served as my mentors, even though there was a hierarchy in our uh, stature. Um, And then Lastly, I would say that I have sought mentors in different disciplines mm. um, and in different types of environments. So I have some mentors, you know, in my church. Mm. I have mentors here in the business school. Mm. Um, I have mentors in the community mm. um, because they don't have to always be in your place sure. of work. And you have to sometimes think about mentorship differently to get a really a full uh, cadre of people that will help you yeah. going and I, forward. I think I think what what you told me is very interesting because a mentor, typically people think about somebody that's uh, over you, but as you mentioned again, people have be. a lot of information and and as a leader, it's important for you to listen to them. That mm-hmm. brings a lot of insights to to our listeners about like it can come from so many different places actually. So what what do you what do you think are some really uh, good advice that you can give for the next generation of female leaders? Because people who are listening to this again, they are they are they are totally inspired by what they are listening to you, and they want to do more. So what do you think are some meaningful advice that you can tell them, give them? I think the best advice I would give to the leader of tomorrow, particularly a woman leader of tomorrow, is that um, we have to be prepared to change. Mm because things are so quickly evolving in whatever discipline we're in. We have to be receptive Mm. to inputs and and critique and really being um, receptive and accommodating to that and approachable, really approachable. Mm. And then lastly, I think that we uh, have to be truly invested in the mantra of continuous improvement. Mm. So whilst you might even personally get to a certain stance in your life, then what can you do to make it better Better. for yourself and your family? Professionally, again, what can you do to make it better for yourself or or those that you work with? And then perhaps even in your place of work, how do you make it better for others? Mm -hmm. I think that idea of continuous improvement is not always innate to how we see our life or our professional commitments. And I uh, I think we have a better ability as women mm-hmm. to embrace that sure because um, it takes a fair amount of humility yeah but it is incredibly important mm. if you want to be continuously um, going forward mm. as compared to being irrelevant that is interesting in fact that the double combination of being a continuously improving person at the end of the day also being a changed person because again those two things go hand in hand is very crucial for next generational leaders, uh, male and female, to be successful. I really enjoyed this discussion, Susan. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Well, thank you for having me. I truly enjoyed it as well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash mbo. E.